0: Get IXL now, and listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com slash audio. Visit IXL.com slash audio to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price.
1: Welcome to Curious with Josh Peck. Start the show. Welcome back to the Curious Podcast. My name is Josh Peck, and I'm your host, and your name is Listener. And that's what you do. You listen. On today's show, Gabby Reese. Um, I'm so impressed with Gabby. She is a former professional volleyball player. She is a sports announcer. She was a fashion model. No big deal. And more importantly today, she is a authority when it comes to health and wellness. She's a podcaster. Go check out her podcast. And Uh, But most importantly, she's just an incredibly impressive, smart person who is so generous, much like her husband, Laird Hamilton, famed big wave surfer, whom, you know, amongst other incredible achievements, has been on the Curious Podcast. I don't mean to brag, but we get them all. We get them all here. Eventually, they come. Listen, this is a middling podcast at best. Do I wish it was bigger? You better believe it, listener. But the reality is... I don't give up quickly. And you guys who listen, you are a strong and scrappy bunch. And I think we're going to take this thing to the next level. And over time, I'm going to get them all. I might be here with Barack Obama in 30 years, you know, because eventually after he's done everything under the sun, every really impressive, illustrious thing that a man of his stature should do. He might just feel like slumming it one day in his mid 80s and be like, Josh Beck, curious podcast. Josh Beck, curious podcast. Let's do it. You know, he might do it. He probably won't, but it's a nice goal for me uh, to, you know, I love, I like to just, I like to um, just deceive myself regularly. So that's, that's my that's that's sort of my my uh, fun. Um, but yes, Gabby is on the show. She is um, she's just a, one of those rare breeds of people, her and Laird of course, who they really walk the walk and uh, recently when we were recording the podcast, she invited me over to their beautiful Southern California home and they have quite the setup there. I'm talking. A sauna, a massive pool, you would think you were at the YMCA, but rich. You would think, you would be like, listen, this is a, ne- this ain't no, this isn't a bean shaped size pool that whatever you have in your backyard, and I don't mean to judge, but this was like the pool that we all aspire to. And she just, you know, as I, I talk about in the pod, I was hoping, I was praying that perhaps maybe she would invite me to train, and she did. And it basically started with like a thirty-minute sauna session uh, with me and Laird and 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 a couple other incredible people, incredible athletes. And then there was like this breathing, like this quick fifteen-minute breathing workshop that Laird put on, which was dope. And I was like getting this freebie high from, which for a for just a deviant like myself, I was all about. I was like, you could get this from breathing. I've had to pay so much money for substances. This is just so much more cost effective and I and less of a hangover. So we did that and then Gabby took over and brought me into the literal deep end and put me through an incredible workout and she was so generous and supportive throughout while also being like, you know, like uh, I was I was a little I was slightly afraid of her, but in a good way. Like I really wanted to impress her. Like if, yes. So it, but it, it all worked out. And then we got to spend an hour and a half doing this podcast. So I couldn't be happier. Um, I think you guys will all really enjoy this. So here is Gabby Reese. Okay. So I want, I want the listeners to hear oh. this incredible
2: <laughs> elixir
1: that oh, you've gosh. served me. What are we drinking?
2: This is hydrate. So you just spent some time in the sauna mm. And uh, there's some minerals and and things in there that you need because people, you know, it's really important for people It's like, oh, I drank eight glasses of water. It's like, well, put something in it. You know, is it pink salt? Is it trace minerals? Something in there so you can really hydrate.
1: Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like in full transparency, I I had been lucky enough to interview Laird before I met you guys. I knew how lovely you were. And yet I'm still a bit of a fan. You know, I I, I watch the Instagrams. Oh, yeah. (laughs) And I'm like, and then when you had mentioned like, hey, before podcasting, if you want us to do some training, let's do it. And I was like, oh, fucking yes. Yes. I'm going to be.
2: Well, if you're coming all this way, and I think, you know, for us, it's always like, um, you know, creating experience. And I know that you have, you know, in the last several years gotten into your health. Yeah. And so it's like, hey, if we we can be part of that experience and show you something maybe a little different or new, um, that's always like a real honor.
1: Is this your, it seems to be a little bit like you're welcome. Like if people, if you feel like they're of a similar ethos, you're Mm -hmm. like, this is how we say hello at the Reese, you know, Hamilton household.
2: I think it's, you know, I I believe that all people contribute to their community however they can. Mm. And I used to joke that, like, if I, if I was a baker, I could make you cookies. But, you know, this is sort of the good fortune that Laird and I have had to be able to make our lives uh, be this way. And so the more people that you have the opportunity to share it with, um, it's kind of like what you want to do.
1: Something tells me there's not a lot of cookies in this household. Am I wrong?
2: (laughs) (laughs) No, I have kids. Of course, there's cookies. Really? Oh yeah. Because you can't make anything taboo. Yes. So my kids are not. um, I don't have soda in my house, um, just because the insane amount of sugar. Yes. But I think it's really healthy to say eat whatever you want, and then what you find is if you're eating a certain way and your dinners are a certain way, um, my two older children have uh, eat very healthy. On their own. And my youngest daughter complains to me, she's 12, that we never have anything unhealthy in the house, but we do. And, you know, it's, it's more about like not making something where it's off limits. Cause then they obsess about it. Mm. But yeah, Laird isn't eating a ton of cookies. now.
1: What is, what is a normal, like family dinner look like at home?
2: You know, we, we, we still, we eat, um, animal protein. Yeah. Um, so we basically Laird has, you know, we say plants and animals basically really pretty simply and, um, trying to get enough good fat so that you feel satisfied and you don't overeat. Um, and so it it can vary. It can be, you know, um, whatever, you know, Laird's always asking me for, try to get as much variety, color in the vegetables and the sides as we can. Because what happens is it's like, oh, you eat broccoli and you eat, you know, salad. And then there's not as many color colors. Mm. And I think part of really good health is eating what, you know, the spectrum of things out there because they all bring different nutrients and different value to what your body needs. So people will be sitting there and they'll think, God, I really have this weird craving for X. And it's because they need something from that food. Mm. And, uh, and then, really high quality animal protein and and so uh, we do we cook have always cooked quite a bit. and now my sixteen year old daughter for in some weird way loves to cook. and it's it's you know just very healthy, but again, nobody's gonna eat healthy if it doesn't taste good. There are a handful of people, and that's misery because I also think family, dinner, and food is a celebration. And so believe me, we make the effort to make everything um, Tastes good.
1: So are you liberal with like some olive oils or avocado oils yeah. when you're cooking? That you know, the stuff, you know, seasoning, like you gotta add some of that to the good stuff to make it taste.
2: Yeah, we're not boiling chicken okay, and then solid. like, you know, steaming broccoli and saying like no butter. I you know, like for example, Laird eats raw butter. Um, he will even fly, he has even like the other. A few weeks ago I flew back from Kauai and there's a farmer there who mm-hmm. makes raw butter from the cows. And then Laird freezes it and I'm flying back with this butter. So butter in your carry-on. He, well, no, I had to actually check because they will take your butter. Right. They'll be so confused by it. They'll be like, we're just gonna take it because we're confused. <laughs> um, I think guacamole falls in that category as well. Solid. Yeah. <laughs> so I mean, for the air support, airport security. But um, yeah, olive oil, coconut oil, um some good ghee, raw butter and um what am i missing? Is that it? olive coconut, avocado. Those are the kind of the main ones. Yeah. And um certainly spices and and you know curries and things like that. So, I think it's just about um focusing on all the things you can eat and not saying, "Oh, I can't eat this." And what happens is this, you eat sort of in a way to support yourself long enough and you kind of go like, this feels pretty good, that then when you eat something that is really yummy on yeah. the way down, but it makes you feel like ass after.
1: What's yummy, what's yummy for you? I mean, Your what is
2: it, pizza and like, you know. Great. I'm not like a necessarily, crispy cream might kick my butt a little too much.
1: Oh, it's so good.
2: But like a proper like dessert, mm. like one that's really good. A hot lava cake, perhaps. Yes, that, <laughs> yeah. I mean, how is, how is that not yummy? You're not living, you're not a human being. Um, But what happens is, is it's like you can feel the difference on how you feel and it stops being worth it. And the other the other thing people don't realize is if we can sort of cover our basis for our needs, like, oh, I got enough fat. I want to have, you know, I have enough minerals or micronutrients or macronutrients. You actually your cravings diminish. And so there's a kind of a, I call it the faith window and that's in like weight loss or in like making, changing habits. Let's say two to three weeks where people have to do things based on faith before they get some of the results, whether it's looking different or feeling different or combination, sleeping better, things like that. And I find that with food, like, let's say you go, okay, I'm going to be more diligent about my sugar is once you take sugar out, you know, it kind of pisses you off. It's a, I mean, it's a serious addiction for all of us.
1: Total detox.
2: It's like Coke. Yeah. Like cocaine, sugar. Okay, great. Cheaper. Yeah. And legal. And everything. Bad. Everywhere. So tempting. Comes in pink, everything, right? Like, you know, you're not behind the building doing like, you know, cookies. It's like.
1: I had a guy who came right to my apartment,
2: but anyway. You did? (laughs) Yeah. What color? No. Was but, the was the stuff? No. It was a good stuff. <laughs> so I think that what you start to realize is your microbiome, your gut, if you're feeding it sugar, those guys down there, they're the powerful ones. They send the signal. So they tell your brain, hey, let's go get the sugar. Right. And if slowly but surely you can weed that out, then other parts of your body get to be stronger and the cravings do genuinely go down. Mm. And then you start to realize like, Oh I'm stressed out. I use sugar as a kind of a medication. Oh it felt good for a minute. Oh, I feel lonely, I'm sad, I'm bored. And and then you start to go, well I'm eating, let me just at least be in touch with the reasons why I'm eating what. And if it if it comes down to I'm with a group of people I really enjoy. We're going to this place. They have this beautiful dessert and I'm I'm doing it cuz I'm really going to enjoy it. Perfect.
1: Yes. It's interesting. I've never I you know, I'm a sober guy and so sometimes I'll hear in a meeting or amongst sober people, they'll say, I never regret waking up in the morning having not drank, yeah, but I sure have regretted drinking. Yeah. And similarly, like weirdly enough, when I've been able to enjoy a dessert, but really like get the full experience in three or four bites, instead of being like, I'm going to fucking crush this until yeah. I'm questioning my self-worth, every choice I've ever made in life and whether or not I'm going to make it through the night. Like yeah. that's when it gets really hairy and gross. And I never like wake up the next morning thinking, I wish I'd taken eight more bites of that.
2: Right. And I think what happens is, is we understand that something else is at play mm. and some other part of ourselves is in in charge. And I think when we can be liberated, because there's so many things think about as a human being, how much anxiety and stress we just experienced living. Mm. And it's hard enough to try to feel like, you know, you're in charge of your choices that at least also, even if we don't get it right, when we can identify it, right? Like, go like oh i okay something's going on with me cuz i'm you know pounding that dessert and then i go through the whole process after of how i feel um versus um you know going i did that in a way that really suited what i wanted mm. you know and and interestingly enough i believe about alcohol and addiction is and Laird got into that cuz Laird used to drink wine and he was an alcoholic um He's like, nobody ever talks about the sugar addiction in alcohol. Right. And that, that how powerful that is. And because if we think about it and alcohol too, right. It's, it's legal. It's cheap. It's everywhere. People don't go like, are you drinking? Like, it's almost weird. Cause I, I've never been a drinker. I grew up in the Caribbean and everyone around me really drank. So as an adult, I just didn't. Plenty of rum. Oh yeah. It's yeah. cheaper than, than uh, soda. Um, and also I lived in Puerto Rico and they go hard there. Um, is you go, uh. You know, when you go out and you don't drink, people are like, What's up with you? Like, you are zero fun. Mm. And uh, so it's just there's a couple, there's some interesting parallels to sugar and booze. It's an interesting, I think those people that say
1: that uh, immediately feel seen in some respect at yeah. the idea of like, if they can't have um, sort of like minded company, all of a sudden it makes them feel uncomfortable about their indulgence. But I think, I think uh, it's funny. I, I go to these these uh, 12 step meetings that are all men. And because, mm-hmm. and, you know, in that way, when it's on a mixed meeting, you can be more vulnerable. You're not like yeah, uninhibited for peacocking, sure. Peacocking, trying to impress. Yeah. And there are older guys who got sober at 40, 50 years of sobriety. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, when I came in at 21, they were like, I spilled more than you drank, you know? Oh, yeah. Like I used to drink with both hands. And they would talk about a remedy that they would that was common early on when guys would be going through the DTs in their first few days of sobriety would be to drink orange juice with mm-hmm. extra sugar in it. Yeah. Because it would help cut the sugar with craving. Well, yeah. with
2: Laird, he substituted the Pinot Noir bottle out for a Pellegrino bottle. And I, after dinner, was serving desserts, mm. which I never was, because he had this sugar craving urge. And so that was his way of getting through sort of the six month period of like that part of the addiction. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a real thing because this is not a dessert guy. No, he doesn't strike me as And he was a dessert guy for a minute. Hey, I'm Brett Podolsky
1: You know, we don't have to go deep at all. But what's it like being the partner of someone who is realizing that maybe they don't have the healthiest relationship with mm. alcohol? You know, at that
2: time. Yeah, no, we, we we had a solid ten years being together with while he was drinking, and uh, I'm not, you know, talking out of school. But this is all Laird has discussed this, but and I think it's important to share your stories. I remember, so, okay, I used to think, oh, this is a smart guy. You know, he's a healthy guy. He's not a guy who really wants to blow up his life. Like, really? Mm. Um, You know, there's always people you see him and you just go, oh, they're always sabotaging themselves. This is a strong guy. He was probably just working out some things. I think he was working out some personal. When he became a professional person and sort of got to do what he really wanted to do to make his living with his passion, I think he carried a tremendous amount of guilt for that. Mm. I think he felt shamed and weird because he was raised very differently like almost like you won't be able to do anything so then when you can you're really confused and you feel shamed that maybe like why do my classmates have to work super hard at something that they don't like to do and I have the gift of following my dream um that if you're a sensitive person that has a whole other thing it sounds weird but you just have to get the relationship with it so I used to watch him and think oh he's so smart we had already two kids and And then, uh, you know, we went through some things, and I think Laird, being Laird, was like, I'm not in charge of this. I'm not being honest. And so there was a six month period where you kind of hold your breath as a partner to somebody, hoping that it's real. Because I never once said to Laird, you shouldn't drink. Really? No. Well, you don't, first of all, you don't tell him anything. Sure. And second of all, did you feel it? Well, I knew it wasn't the best idea. Sure. I, I was, but I. I knew that wasn't going to be the way. Mm. And I just, I was, you know, kind of trying to hang in there. And I was like, I know I can't do this forever, but right now I can, and I'll stand by him and we'll see what happens. Um, because that's a very personal quest when you have to deal with addiction. And, uh, and then he literally in one day stopped drinking and, um, And I remember at night, I would he would always go to bed early. He drank at home, so these were the confusing parts of it because it was wine at home, in bed early, up early, training, civilized, radical performance, like high high level athlete. But it's a look in the eye. It's like a thing. It's like a whole. It's a different person, Mm. you know. And it's the consistency. And so, I I I remember feeling like he. I was hoping it was going to stick. Um, but you're unsure, but you don't want to act unsure because it almost feels like you're not being faithful to that. They can do it Mm. or supportive. And, um, you know, that was like 13 years ago. And, and like I said, he substitute one habit for the other. So the one bottle went out, a new one went in, we had dessert. And then he got in the, I call it the upcycle. I mean, alcohol is a depressant. So you're, you're already, you're dealing with that. People don't realize like, forget, like, if you feel hungover, it's like, then if you feel shitty that you drank and you didn't want to, or how you behaved or whatever. So I think there's a down cycle of it. And he got in the up cycle. I think you start feeling good. And then I think you feel good about yourself because you don't have to look at anyone in the eye the next day and be like, I was different than I am now. Um, but I, I, what I can tell you as a partner, the level of respect and appreciation I have for Laird um, his ability to do that. I I don't necessarily have that trigger. I, you know, I think sensitive, I mean, there's all kinds of people, but what I have seen a lot is sensitive people, more so, more emotional, heart-based, they're going to be more vulnerable. The world hits them differently. I do a lot of like thinking like, well, how do I feel about that? So I might be further down the road to be an addict. These are the sensitive you know, loving people a lot of times that the world hits them and it hurts. So they use things to kind of medicate. Or if they just have a, you know, a response, physical response.
1: I've heard you say that before. And I I agree I I couldn't agree more in the respect of I, I used to always say that it was as it was as if I didn't have the same suit of armor yeah. that everyone was handed yeah. when they were born because things affected me differently. Mm-hmm. And so finding this escape and this, I heard someone say once, like, I wasn't trying to kill myself. I was trying to kill the part of me that wouldn't let me live.
2: Yeah.
1: Like that self-governor, that, you know, uh, radio K-fuck in yeah. your head in the yeah. morning that's just screaming at you all the reasons why you're not enough. It just helped to sort of turn the volume down. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's a very weird, nefarious thing. And I always say like, it was the worst bait and switch of my life because it was like my key to feeling all the things I wanted to feel, but then it just turned on me so quick. Yeah. It, it just
2: was bad. Yeah. And it, and, you know, unfortunately it's like, I used to think, oh, my kids and how's this going to impact their development if their dad's an alcoholic and all this stuff. And then I used to, I kind of, i said one time to Laird you know, after like a kind of bad night or something, (laughs) I was like, you know, maybe you should just do this until all our kids are done being teenagers because then they won't. Yeah. And then we'll get some, one thing good out of it. And he did not like that. Um, But I, you know, he could write a, you know, I don't care what size wave or, you know, and of course I respect him as a husband and he's a great participating father, but I think the thing I'm, I really, Respect Laird so much for is the ability to see something and go, this is not, this is not working and I don't want to lose my family or ruin my life and I'm going to stop because I can't imagine how hard that was. Mm. And so as a partner, you have a different perspective and a and a deeper appreciation for your partner having gone through that Um And sure, it'd be easy to say, oh, I wish we never went through it. But you could say that about everything in life that was difficult, but it never gets you to the place.
1: Yeah, it's inescapable. Yeah, It's just part of it. But I I have to say, from the outside looking in, and while now that I'm married and and in a relationship, I have no doubt that there are there ups and downs the way we all experience. But you you two seem to have such a beautiful storybook, Relationship. And it was funny, there was a moment that I observed while we were in the pool, and Laird came by, and you guys exchanged. You were talking about something really quick. Mm -hmm. And then he just kind of held your hand for a second. Mm -hmm. And it was just like such a nice check in because even only having been married three years, I constantly have to remember. And my wife does a good job of reminding me, like, hey, asshole. Like, this isn't just, like, transactional. Yeah. Like, this isn't I do for you, you do for me, and then we, you know, go to bed in the same bed at night. Like, yeah. we have to reassure each other that we're, you know, we're both in this.
2: You know, I think it's, it's a really powerful thing when each individual person in the partnership can realize, I want, like, love and kindness and all these things, but I just have to do that. And I don't have to say, well, I do that, so you then have to do that. I just have to do that and believe and trust in you if you've chosen, you know, the right person, that you will be inspired by my conduct. And I think with both Laird and I, we um, self-govern because also the flip side of that is, is we're both bullies. We are. And so it's more effective if the bully manages themselves. And so there's a great tension between us that it's an unspoken understanding of, okay, you're going to go be your best and I'm going to go be my best. And, and, um, and it then becomes a thing where you sort of go, I'm inspired. um, And sometimes it's like work, like quite frankly, like quite a lot of work. Oh, Yeah. To, like, keep, like, you're like, holy shit, like, the bar is high. Like, I got to keep the bar. I got to, I have to go up. But it is interesting once you accept that, like, hey, I'm going to actually bring my best to the person that I'm the most comfortable with that would be the easiest for me to take for granted. And I accept the fact that I am going to bring my best. Then it sort of takes that bullshit out of, like. I don't feel like it. I'm tired. I'm stressed out. You you develop systems where you can say, "I need to talk." I, I I'm I'm bumpy with something, mm-hmm. instead of "I'm stressed out and now I'm going to take it out on you." So you you learn how to put things in place. And as long as your partner's safe and someone that you can talk to, and doesn't doesn't say shit like "Why would you? Why do you have? Why do you feel that way?" That's silly. No, yeah. just listen.
1: I got to get better at that. Well, want But
2: men want to fix things, right? Well, oh, we love to fix. Well, that's, but that's a great quality, but it's also giving room to your partner. And I'm not a big, like, oh, I want to talk about my feelings every second. I'm not. But sometimes I'll be like, oh, I'm battling this thing and I'm not winning. Like it's a feeling or something about one of the girls or something I did, like just whatever, just a natural uh, anxiety about something going on in life. And I'll just say, hey, can I just, Confess something. That's Mm -hmm. how I think I usually couch it. Can I confess something? And it's just like, even if it's like a bad behavior by me or something and learn has made it completely safe for me to do that. But when you, when you say that you guys are both bullies, what do you mean? We're pretty tough individually differently, but both of us would, could easily, um, you know, freight train a partner, run over, take over, um, it's my world, you know, it'd be easy, you know? And so when each person is like, oh, this is my real estate and this is who I am. And I'm willing to flex and bend and do whatever I can to make your life better. But this is my real estate. Like, I'm not going to not be who I am in order to be with you. Um, that's a real thing. And I think for, i I mean, I would say i th- I thought it was more of a female tendency, but I've actually seen a lot of men um, diminish their real estate sometimes to be in a relationship. So I think it's just a human nature of like not knowing how to hold on to your sense of self forget because. Listen, we're all okay. We're a partner. I'm Laird's wife. I'm my daughter's mom. I'm all these things. And sometimes I just need to be me. And I don't, and not even like a woman. Like I just need to be me, this person. And this is my real estate. And this is what I'm into. And this is how I want to express myself. And um, none of you are going to take that from me. Yeah. Um, and so that there's kind of a selfishness within that. But it also creates greater capacity to serve. I can serve my family from s- such a better place because I don't resent them and I don't feel like I'm constantly questioning and wondering like well, what's my life about within this all these roles and it's because I'm I'm fortifying and defending my real estate now when you have a newborn baby and you're sleep deprived and you're nursing okay you're 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 moving around differently i get that i've been through all that so i'm not suggesting that we don't have times where you're like whoa giving a lot right now but within it Laird is you know, not going to eat me or my identity, and I'm not going to do that to him. And I think that's a really important dynamic within our relationship.
1: Well, you said something uh, I thought was so interesting on a podcast I was listening to where you said men are better at carving out time for themselves and like reinforcing play and being able to like focus on like if they have a great dream or or a major focus in their life. and And you said, women, you know certain women inherently just don't possess that as much,
2: yeah, well, first of all, we're not encouraged. And then we walk around making sure everyone's okay. Are you okay? Is that okay? Is this good? Because that's part of being a caretaker, caregiver. I mean, these are these are great qualities, except if we turn them in against ourselves and then we resent the people around us for not feeling the same way. If If Laird's mechanism isn't the same as mine, I can't resent him for that. I have to look at myself and go, well, first of all, why are you mad? And is he doing anything wrong? No. I mean, he's still participating in the family and showing up. And he's not apologetic. Brains work differently. People can say whatever they want. I always say, listen, we're equal, but we're not the same. We are. And in some ways, if you want me to push back, Laird always jokes like when you have um, dolphins and they're, they're confronted with a threat, who do they put on the outside of the circle of the dolphins? Juvenile males. He's like, we're expendable. Who do they put on the inside? It's like children and women. And then, you know, it's like males because I think women... And men, but this energy, it's like it's so important. Like a woman can set a tone in a home and the amount of love that she can give and support. it's exhausting. um, and it's a superpower. and but sometimes the superpower can turn in against and on her, yeah, if she doesn't understand how to balance it also for herself because she to be here just to serve everyone else is is great in theory. And it might be great for like a year to five. But if you think you're talking about long-term. Not sustainable. I just think you got to be able to say like, who am I as a person? I need to have a laugh. I got to have friends that we just like talk about stuff. I need to keep learning. And I can't just always be about everybody else.
1: And then you turn into that. And I don't mean to like, fuck it, I'm going to be gender specific. Then you turn into that kind of you know, married mom, woman yeah. who's like with that martyrdom co- complex yeah. that's
2: fucking it's crazy, rough. Well, you know what I heard? Um, um, I have a friend here we, that uh, introduced me to Byron Katie and, and she always says, you know, victims are violent. And if you watch, if you take that tone, like, you know, I do all this for everybody and da, 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 da. Well, no, you chose to. Yeah. You should have told them like, like sometimes my kids, like last night, my, my youngest daughter, decided she wanted to be in the room with us. And so I have like a I call it the princess bed. And I joke once they they never come back in and they're more independent than ever. But sometimes they come in. They need whatever they need and I'm allowing it. Sure. And then she's like, oh um can you get me water? I go, no, get yourself water. Like, you know, like you made choices to get in here late and I'm already in bed and I I'm here to help you. But get your own water. Right. Like and it sounds so so small, but those there's millions of those in a week right? Like, so I think it's, it's fair to say, Hey, I want to be a loving parent. I want to serve my family and I need to be responsible for what I can handle. And if I'm going to get spit out of this in 20, 30, 40 years and be really pissed off and miserable, I just think we have to look at that. So it's like this weird mix of like, I'm, I'm probably in certain ways overtly more selfish but that has helped me then I can really give. I think that's right on.
1: It's funny you talk about your daughter cuz we're going through this right now my wife and I with our 15 month old. Yeah. And God bless my wife cuz she's fucking on it. Yeah. I haven't read the books, Gabby. I don't go on the message boards. She's on top of it. And and she does it beautifully yeah. and I follow her lead. Yeah. And smart man. She, I do my best. And so the pediatrician shamed us and was like saw our son with the binky. Couple of weeks ago, I was like, well, still doing the binky, huh? And we were like, yeah. She's like, maybe you want to cut that out. Cause you know, the orthodontia, the teeth, yeah. they get so emotionally tied to it. And he's still kind of not completely awake yet. Yeah. And so we're like, okay. So my wife gets this beautiful step down pack from Amazon where it's like yeah. every couple of days, it's less and less of a binky till finally they're like, we don't care about the pacifier. But last night, he was just having a rough go yeah. and we just as as a team but with a little bit of me pushing i was like yeah. let's just give him the regular binky tonight yeah. like he's fucking pissed yeah. he's usually a great sleeper mm. and like it would be beautiful to do it by the book but let's improvise here cuz we're like not robots well
2: yeah you let me tell you uh if you can ad- if you can adopt that philosophy sooner than later life is about a being able to adapt, period. Mm -hmm. And when you talk about health and, uh, you know, survival, look at us as species, it's because we've adapted, right? And so when you're parenting, you have all kinds of plans. And then you have to, then after you get over that, then you, and if you're paying attention, then all of a sudden all you're doing is adapting and trying to make the best decisions in those exact moments and occasionally you will beat yourself up like maybe once a day or, you know, six times a week about a choice you made, how you could have done that differently. Um, each kid is different. Each scenario is different. Also think about energetically your, your son could be uh, picking up things going on in the world. Um, we never give them enough credit for how sensitive they are and how smart. So he, even if he doesn't articulate things, he can feel people and what they're feeling. Um, you know, maybe he has some weird, t- more teeth coming in. Like we don't know. Yeah. And so I think it's really important for people to be kind to themselves. Laird, Laird has said to me many times, "Listen, you you you're there and you love them. And and I have blown it when I tell you so many times. I have blown it so many times, and I will blow it again today. I'm sure. And I, I I recognize that. But thinking you can do it perfect or by the book or there's one right way, um, it's just complete nonsense.
1: You know, Laird and I, when I interviewed him, talked a lot about our similar sort of experience with our family systems and and lack of a father figure mm-hmm. in many respects. And it's funny, I was listening to this comedian and he said he'd interviewed a, a children psychologist and said, what's the one thing that is like, What's the one thing you can do to ensure as a father that you're like, not going to totally fuck up your Mm -hmm. kid. And the psychologist thought for a
2: second and then looked at him and said, don't leave. Mm. Like just be there. Be there. Yeah. Another really good one. And I don't know if this is more, this is also very mud like with mothers, but is because dads do want to fix everything. Um, I have learned to just listen so you, let's say your kid's four years old, your son, and uh, his friend was going to come over, and he's supposed to play. And then the mom says, "Oh no, something came up, and he he can come over tomorrow." Your tendency to be like, "Oh, sweetie, tomorrow, tomorrow, you know he's going to be here. It's so quick, and dad will yeah. take you and do this." That's exactly what I would do, of course, because you course. don't want we don't want our children to be sad or feel disappointment. Yeah. Instead of like, oh, you know, your friend, you know, John isn't going to come. His mom said he can come tomorrow. And if let even if they're four or five, let him s- sit with it. And he'll be like, but I want her to come today. And you could say, I know that must be hard. And just oh, listen. Really? That, that just broke my heart. Why should you say that? I know. I know. But it is. I had to read that in a book to even understand about that concept. My kids tell me so many things. And inside my mind, I'm like, you think that's a problem? Or let me tell you the six ways you can wrap that up in one second. Instead, ah. I just go like, I could see where that's hard.
1: That is so smart because it's funny, even to this day at 33, and I yelled at my mom, God bless her, she's 75. I'm not a great person all the time, but I yelled at her because I had such deep seated annoyance from something she's done my entire life, which is I will confess an issue or something. Maybe it's not even a big problem, yeah. but it's just a situation that I'm in. And, she'd, and then what she'll go, what she'll <laughs> inevitably do is say, Well, you know what I would say? is, and finally in this situation, I cut her off. I was like, I'm not asking you what you would say. I'm just asking you to listen. Mm. And because of course, what she's going to say is the best thing to say and worded perfectly in her eyes. And any deviation of that would be unacceptable. Right. But I had to like stick up for eight-year-old Josh and say, mom, I, I didn't ask for that. I just need you to listen.
2: Yeah. yeah. And the fact that you can verbalize that because I think as parents- we do want to fix everything and we don't want our kids to suffer and um there's really no there's no way around it and once we can actually accept that and know that that's actually kind of normal even when it's painful to go through and by the way sometimes they go through things that go for months or years like when they're teenagers yeah and you've got to sit by and watch it that is that killer oh it can kick your ass do you want to pull your hair out <laughs> It's just very confusing and it's it makes you um you're you're never sure footed, right? Um and and I think it's it's realizing too, like, oh, this is my child, but they're not my child. Mm-hmm. They are their own person. And they are doing it in a very different way than I would. And it looks kind of hard, but I will accept this and love them. And um actually, I actually have a friend um who taught me something really interesting. If you, if you visit with him and you go, Oh, da da da, this is what's happening. And gosh, I'm struggling with this and that he'll just listen. And sometimes you look at him like, what do you think? But I, you don't say it. And he'll go, well, I didn't hear a question in there. He will not tell you how he feels about what you're saying or unless you ask him. And, um, because it's it's like oh if you want to know and you can do that with your children i'll will say listen if you ever want to know how i feel i will tell you but otherwise i'm just i'm i'm going to listen unless it's so blatantly radically wrong and you go listen lie the truth light and dark like these are very clear cut
1: my big brother is uh, a a big proponent of that or, or a version of that which is that and i don't know if you have, I'm sure you've, you've observed this before where someone will be saying something and then you've put the pieces together before they finish and you'll be like, and you'll answer them while they're still mid sentence. And I did that recently to my brother and he said, don't do that. He's like, I haven't asked a question yet. You don't know what I was going to say. Idiots do that. He's like, it's like a big, cause he's like a CEO type a, a business management guy. He's like, that's a big sign of someone's like ineptitude that we take into account when we're deciding whether to hire someone, if they cut you off because they think they know what you were going to ask.
2: Yeah. Well, and it's impulsive, right? Like yeah. we're, as human beings, we just have a bunch of impulses and, you know, kind of things that are, are part of our mechanisms. And and I think with time and age and you have to remember, you're still quite young in a good way, not like you're young, but like in a great way is through experience. You go, Oh, okay. I'm not going to do that anymore we're still learning, you know, I'm 50. I'm still gonna have things come across my day and be like, hmm, okay, that I'm, I'm gonna do that one a little differently. And I think people have to give themselves that space um, to to continue to make those mistakes and not, and like I said, you wanna, you always think, okay, love and hate, we're, let's choose love. Okay, the truth and a lie, let's tr- choose the, the truth. You know, these kinds of things are, these are constant. Yeah. But there's so much nuance and so many things to navigate that we have to allow ourselves and not be afraid to make mistakes and say, oh my gosh, I so freaking blew that. And then go on from there because that also gets easier. I think the more we can say, oh, sorry, um, then we don't have to be right. We can just say, I'm going to do better. I think that's I think that's so right, and I think that
1: you said something interesting, which is that you're fifty, which is hard to believe. And was it, uh, despite how how uh, fitness forward and healthy and all the things that you are, was it
2: a trip turning fifty, or was it just like a whatever moment? Forty was weirder for me than fifty, if was I could be honest. Yeah, I don't know why. I just, oh gosh, I, one thing I would say if I'm hardwired a certain way for one good trait is I'm pretty good about when I see something that I just, like, it's not my control. I just roll. Yeah. I, I mean, I have a lot of, like, really, I'm Capricorn, so Laird always jokes about, it, like, goats and, like, stubbornness and, like, just keep going. It's like, okay, well, is that working, you know? But, I, like, time, I, I can't control time. And I'm aware of that. And so I think when it came, of course, you're like, wow, that's heavy duty. And I've had friends for 30 years. And like, that's weird. And I could be old enough to have a kid who's 18 or 20. And I have a 25-year-old. And it's like all these things. Um, but this is what I know. If I am trying to make the most of the time I have and the relationships I'm in. And by the way, I blow that too because I'm so task-oriented that there's a lot of days I... I'm not like doing like I'm not really enjoying myself. Sure. You know, and I'm sure my kids aren't like, she's so enjoyable. <laughs> oh, I I'm the same. And so these are things I'm always working on. But this is also part of life. Like shit has to get done and dinners have to get made and laundry has to get washed and people have to get called back and emails have to get. So there's a part where I'm like always calibrating those two. But if I, if I go like, yo, I'm, I'm really trying to maximize my own t- talents or skill set or my own life or the people I'm close to, make them know how much I love them. I can't really do anything past that. Um, and not to be afraid. You know, I think immortality and aging, like sagging skin and all that shit is like, oh, that's kind of scary. Um, and then you go, yeah, probably pretty natural to feel that way.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. What what do you think is like the most insidious trait of people who are not doing it? I don't want to say not doing it the way you do it, but like someone, what do you think is, is the one or two things that are dragging people down the most?
2: Well, you know, the thing is, is that, you know, let's say it's first following your own inner need, voice, dream, propulsion. Like for some people it could be like a work or an expression of work. It isn't in fact a family. And I think that's completely reasonable by the way. Yeah. I think it's about you starting with feeling allowed to honor yourself in that deep real way. But that takes work. And I don't mean like inner work. It takes whatever you're going to do, you're going to have to bust your ass and nothing's going to arrive like It's not like going to just show up and hit you in the lap. So I think first, and again, I believe men do this better than women, but sometimes men like will go out and say, like, oh, I have to get a job, and then I'll get a car, and I'll buy a house, and then I'll find a partner, and then we'll get married, and then we'll have kids, and they have this whole blueprint, and they feel the pressure of the blueprint. Where women, we, maybe not quite that same pressure of the blueprint. We can sort of say, well, maybe I want to be a professional, but then they go, oh, I'm 30, I'm 32. Am I supposed to have kids? Should I get a husband? They've got a different blueprint. Right, Men have a little more time. We don't. So I think it's first really being you know tr- true to the thing inside you that turns you on, that feels good and right, and a correct reflection of you for real, your essence. And then as you move through, it's having safe people around you to go, this is how I'm feeling. I'm scared. Um, I looked in the mirror today, and I felt old. Um, Whatever the things that we're feeling and that we can always be offloading that stuff instead of feeling it, bottling it, jamming it, feeling it, bottling it, jamming it. And then it becomes this like radical monster instead of turning and going, wow, that was hard. Like I have that. There's days I look and somehow catch a glimpse of myself and I still train in a bikini and stuff because it's functional. And i will be like, holy shit, like, whoa. But it's not packing that away. It's like, oh, okay, there it is. So I think it's just like facing it and always clearing the decks. I think when you have with it, whether it's your friends or your workplace or your family, if there's stuff there that bugs you or that's bugging someone. And Laird has taught me this and he does this every day. He's a clear the decks guy. What's up? Clear the decks. Like, no holding any bullshit. Like let's have it out right Confront now. Confront everything. Oh my God, my wife kills me for that. <laughs> Cause
1: she's not a big talker. Uh-huh. Maybe and that's probably because I talk too much. But um, that's
2: but that's the beauty, right? That's where you're balancing is. each other. So then you just have to learn the language.
1: She you're so right. And her language is a little more like I can't talk about this right now. Give mm-hmm. me some time to process mm-hmm. it in the way I will. Mm-hmm. And I promise you, it'll be less of a big deal if you give me that time yeah. than if you feed your fucking neurotic
2: need to have it out right now because I overly talk everything. Well, I think it's also a balance. Like, I was very much like, I'll keep it more inside, pretty direct, but still layered as the one who was like, um, no, if we're doing this, like, we're going to be out here in the open, like, we're doing it. But we still do it differently, so I still get to honor who I am within that. Yes, and because I think it's correct to say, let's deal with it now. If somebody goes, because there's something really powerful about doing it together. So when she says to you, "Hey, I need to go off and figure out how I feel in this and that," you could say, "Okay, I I respect that, but is there a way that we could figure out actually in this moment how to navigate this?" Because then you learn a lot. Because otherwise, you're just going back and doing it your way in your language. And uh, I had a confrontation with Laird the other day. We don't. They don't happen often. And um, it took about an hour to get to the place where we were going to talk about it. And he came in my office, and and I was pissed. And and uh, it doesn't happen very often. And probably I was ready to be a little bit mean. And but within that conversation, there there becomes so much more understanding. Cause all the feelings are there instead of like, okay, i boxed it up. It's in a thing one through three, here it is. And then you get to respond. There's something from mucking through it a little that is really educational. So maybe it's a balance, right? Like maybe if it's something that's more her thing, let her. Yeah. But if it's like a you and her thing, then you have to try to figure out how to at times muck through it together. Cause then all of a sudden you see your partner and you go, I I see their point, like I made Laird wait. um he 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 doesn't he doesn't do uh, social media. Or I pretty much do a lot of the details of our business. But by the way, that's my strength. He does a million things around here that I could tell you that he just shows up for every day. I'm very well aware of all the contributions. And I said, I'll be ready to shoot. I want you to shoot this thing in thirty minutes. It was ninety minutes. and he's like, I just feel like I'm here waiting around and this and that. And at first, he didn't verbalize it a certain way. But then when I could see it from his side, I was like, please understand, it will never be my intention to make you wait. Yes. Like, I love you, and I want to jump through hoops for, mo- for you more than any person. But the only way we could do that is for me to actually be able to see him in the muck time, you know? Yeah. Um, and, and that's, listen, we've been together 24 years. We've learned also how not to take it personal, how to look at it from the other person's side. This is the number one. Where are they really coming from? Not just be defensive and like pissed, you know i
1: I recently was you know bloviating to my to my shrink about something, just like some, some relationship frustration, some bullshit and but like rooted in some some real things and and I said, but you know what? I said, my wife took my son aside because he was having a tantrum and like talked him through it. Mm -hmm. I said, and that's so much more important. (laughs) Like I just said her, I mean, and it wasn't sort of denying that like there was something I was a little annoyed about and in time we would probably work it out. But it was also realizing like on the grand spectrum of things, like what I'm feeling is of less importance than this massive, beautiful expression of how great she is.
2: Well, because that's your son. And so that's on behalf of you your wife is doling out her skill set for, for the greater good. Yes. Right? I think it's important, though, big and small with marriages, to make sure if something keeps showing up, we identify it. Because in the end, your son will grow up, and he will have his own life, and you will be with the left with the two of you if you're fortunate. And so it's really important to get into pulling the weeds into the habit of just pulling the weeds and go, this seems insignificant. It's only one little tiny blade of grass. It will grow into something. Yeah. So I think it's always important. Um, but also, once you pull the grass and there's behavior, change of behavior, you don't bring up the blade of grass ever again. You don't go, well, remember that weed I pulled like five years ago? Yeah, that that's gone. So I think there's all kinds of other parts of pulling weeds. We which, have a we have a whole new lawn at this point. Correct. We have incredible landscaping. Yes. And you don't talk like once someone's like, okay, herd shift. Um and that's the other part is how do you create safe conflict? Mm. There's always gotta be like a safety. Like you know that the person isn't gonna use your deep inner stuff. You gotta fight clean against you.
1: Oh, I have friends. I don't know if you're like this. I have friends, a couple, you know who you are, who they fight <laughs> dirty. <laughs> they, I don't like that. They see some fucked up shit. Yeah. I'm like, good luck recovering from this one,
2: Mm-mm.
1: Dan and Michelle. Yeah. I don't, no, no, some I don't people
2: know. get, ex- they get turned on by it. You know what it is? That's why I train so hard. It's um healthy, healthy stress. Yeah. Because we're all looking for stress. That's how we get growth. Yeah. We're looking for it. So if we're not getting it in a healthy way, a hike something, something, we, we're going to find it. And it won't usually be healthy, but we're looking for that, like something to press against us.
1: It's so funny you say that about, um, it, it. the other day I, I brought up something to my wife and we talked it out and, and I kind of just said, you know, I usually don't bring up something I'm frustrated with when we're good. Like it'll, it'll come out in a fight where we're both stressed. I said, so here I am I'm just letting you know, there's something like that I would love to work on. And she kind of voiced her side of it. And I said, well, great. Um, I think we're, you know, hopefully we can work towards something that, you know, is a little different. And I go to leave. She's like, what's wrong? And I said, nothing. I said, I, I said everything I wanted to say. And she's like, and I could see her like mind sort of shake. And I said, Listen, you I don't want to belabor this, like because I over talk. Yeah. So I'm just letting you know. you're dropping it off. Thanks for hearing it and let's revisit it whenever.
2: And it w- Gabby, Why? It,
1: w- it was beautiful.
2: That's very powerful though. It if was if so you can good. do that. You can you have to you're gonna have to do that with your son. Like I give my youngest daughter um a really hard time. Uh, cause I'm her mom. Like that's what we do, right? And sometimes she's pretty tough. Like sometimes she's not that nice. And she makes weird choices. Like, if my one daughter says to her, hey, can you turn the oven off? She'll be like, I'm busy. And she's standing next to the dial. <laughs> like, she just will antagonize everybody, right? Yeah. Sure. And so the other day she came in. There was a kid in the house from a friend. I saw her face. She had a reaction like, they're here. Then I saw her change her mind. She's like, oh, hello. And so later that night, to your point, I said, hey, I want you to know, I really appreciate the kindness that you showed so-and-so because I'm on her all the time about being empathetic or being kind or being polite. And it's that reminder to do it with our partners. If you're a boss, we're on our employees about like things that the people we work with, like they didn't go right. When they do something right, go, Hey, listen, you know, the way you handle that thing. I just really appreciate that. It's really powerful. Yeah. It's great. So, you grew up in the Caribbean, in mm-hmm. Trinidad. My father's from Trinidad. Mm-hmm. I grew up in St. Thomas. Mm-hmm. and near. But then you were also sort of
1: raised by family from Long Island
2: or yeah. family friends. Yeah. So f- my mom's grew up in Long Island and she had neighborhood friends that raised me when I was little, little.
1: That's so funny because when I first met you and obviously like you have this island's essence to you. Mm-hmm. And then we talked and because I'm from New York. Yeah. And in the back of my mind, I was like, oh, I know her. Yeah. Like...
2: It's a Long Island girl. I ha- I have both. Yeah. I have both so strongly. You know, I joke, I have my longest friend is a girl named her maiden name was Danielle Solzano <laughs> from Long Island and so uh, Amityville and uh Copaig and stuff. Uh, but so I did that for a few years and then I grew up in the Caribbean, so I have I have a, maybe a directness, but also islanders have it too. But my a lot of my value system came from growing up on the islands and um and then my my father's whole side of his family is from Trinidad, so I have a kind of a mishmash of both. And I
1: don't, I I feel like I might be speaking for um, a lot of the listeners, where like my initial concept of Trinidad is like Rihanna. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But there there's like a lot of white dudes from Trinidad.
2: Yeah. So well, my dad was actually um, half black and half white. Oh wow. Yeah. So my grandfather. Um, was from Trinidad. Um, and his name was Dr. Reese. And uh, Dr. Reese went to do his residency in Boston and um, where he met my grandmother, who was like white as snow. And the only way they could have an open relationship, and they were, you know, dated in secret and such, um, is to live in Trinidad because Trinidad has always been more open. Um, they have a healthy mix of East Indian, Chinese, white, and black. So actually, I have a uh, West Indian in my family. I have first cousins that, if you saw us together, it would be so you'd be like, really? And our parents are siblings. And so, um, yeah, I have a in, in diverse background. How cool! I know, and it's always it's always interesting for me to, you know, travel through life as a six three blonde woman and um but to sort of have this other kind of cultural experience and uh, quite frankly it's really what bonds Laird and i he's the same i mean he always says i i look i'm looking white but i'm thinking brown because he's he is so associates with the polynesian culture growing up in Kauai, and just you know is in love with that culture and that was his culture um so i think both of us have a a, that perspective
1: Mm -hmm. and what what's island life-like?
2: You know, it's interesting. It's it's so powerful because you're closer to nature all the time. Uh, it's a small place. So yeah.
1: What's the population of St. Thomas?
2: I don't know now. Um, it can't be, I mean, like tens oh, of thousands? E- oh, no, more than that now. Hundreds? A hundred thousand, at least when I was growing up, It was, you know, our island was sort of like the busiest of the United States Virgin Islands. You know, St. Croix had more space, less population, and St. John is super remote. Um, We were sort of like the fast pace, but you, there's not a lot to do. So you could, unless you're self-driven, self-directed, which I was not. um, Usually by the time you're 13, you're probably getting into some trouble. And you don't really have a concept of the big world As much. I didn't come from like, quote, a good family. So it wasn't like a mom and a dad, and they go, okay, you're going to get an education, then you're going to go to university. I was like, okay, let me see if I can get through high school. And like, I'll probably work at a gift shop. And I believe if I had stayed in St. Thomas, I probably would have had a child very young. I probably would have had a kid, you know, by the time I was 20 or 22. And um, my life just took a really different turn. My junior year, I moved to Florida, and and, uh, that's where I got involved with sports. But what you realize is like, you're not trying to be anyone. Uh, You you know, this idea of, like, getting stuff or big things, big houses, like, none of that is part of your communication uh, or your your value system. It's kind of like you're born and you're going to work and just die where you you were born, probably. Yeah, go to the beach and, you know. Cool out. Yeah, a little bit. I mean, don't rush. No. And, and there was, but of course there's uh, many people from mm -hmm. the Caribbean that are, you know, highly educated and driven and all that. Mine was more of a circumstance of like my family Mm -hmm. um, and then living on an island. So I didn't, it wasn't, I wasn't also in an environment to reaffirm um, structure, discipline, uh, you know, the path to work and profession. It was like, okay you know loose and by the way a lot of the people who go down there if they're not from there they go down there to live a counter life counterculture life so you have parents that are like into carnival and having a good time and what was there a moment
1: you can remember in your childhood where it did sort of what you just said clicked for you in the respect of like oh I might have to do this myself because I'm not getting probably the support that I
2: need And I never, yes, my, well, a lot of my life, but I never looked at it like, oh, I need to aspire to do something. I was like, oh, I have to survive. And so it was more like, I've got to become an adult and provide for myself. But then what happened is when I moved to Florida and I, because of my height, um, and I was relatively athletic, but not crazy. You were six
1: foot at 12?
2: Yeah. What's
1: that like? It's not fun.
2: I bet. It's not like, people aren't like. (laughs) <laughs> but you know, it was weird. I didn't have a problem with it. It was just the constant reaction of the outside world. It's My mother's so cool. very
1: tall. It's so cool.
2: I mean, eh, well, I'm sure you've made your peace with it now, but I have like when I go someplace and people are like you are so tall. And I think to myself, huh, I wonder how many times I've heard that. Um, I think what you start to do, it's all of us. Am I going to love myself or am I not? Yeah. Whatever that looks like. Whatever package you're in, whatever your strengths and weaknesses are, am I going to love myself or not? You know,
1: I think that's. It's funny. My brother-in-law is six eight. Oh and wow! I can't fucking stand when people bring up his height <laughs> for him. And I could see, much like you, he's like made his peace with it. It's like, hey, this yeah. is what I've lived with. Yeah. It's like when people say,
2: like, oh wow, you lost a lot of weight. I'm like, it was a decade ago. <laughs> Let me move on. God damn it! <laughs> like, yeah, but you know what? Then we can flip it. So like we live also sometimes in Kauai and then it'll be like certain holidays. It's like super crowded. All the tourists go there where we live here. We have a nice view. People will stop literally in front of our house and like take a picture. Right. And then I'm reminded there's something about that they're enjoying and it's new to them. Yeah. Just let it roll. Right. Yeah. And and that's how I look at it. And if they're, if they don't handle it correctly, I will make them uncomfortable for sure. Yeah. I have ways to do that. Um, certainly and in fun, but, Um, I think it's about, you know, just learning like, hey, I'm my unique self and people, and this is like height is so obvious, but people, it's really important for people to remember, like, you're all your unique self, whatever that is. And like, love that because it's, I think it's like you radiate it. And people will pick up on it. They'll see it, whatever it is. The height, obviously. I I swear to you, the universe gave me this height. My mother's like was at her at her tallest was probably like six two, so she was very tall. Imagine in her time. But I swear to you, that I think the universe or the God said we got to make this kid as tall as we can get her because she's gonna need it. Yeah. It was my thing. It's what got me out. I could hit a white ball, and then I could build a pawn from that. Um, and so that's how I went to university. You know, I'd call home to St. Thomas and be like, I'm going to college. They'd be like, you are? And then I'd be like, yeah, I'm going on a scholarship. And they were like, for what? <laughs> and I'm like, I know, right? Yeah. And um, and then I had like I a beautiful basketball coach in high school. I had a man in St. Thomas named uh, Kenneth. His nickname was Pups. He'd take me a little bit to volleyball practice, and um, I was like this tall, white, blonde girl. I think I was the only white girl on the team. They used to touch my hair, the girls, because it was like, oh, so different, you know. Oh, who could, could blame them? Yeah. yeah. And uh, and just those few people along the way. Apostles. Yep. Yeah, and my college coach, who is still my very dear friend now, um, 30 years later, impacted me. I was scared to death of her. I probably still am a little bit. Um, taught me a lot, and it, and I think that's another important thing is sometimes we won't get it from our home, but it's all around us. Those little pe- those people, like you said, that are just they push you into the next. They love you just enough. They tell you you can. They teach you something, and um, I think it's really easy to focus on like, well, I'm not getting this at home, or it's like, okay, wait a second, who am I? What could I maybe be good at? And who's around me? And just keep looking there. Um, because I think that's more of us than not, Mm.
1: you know? And I think too, and I don't know if you found this. I had a friend who was like, we grew up together and he was sort of the squeaky wheel. We were all aware like that he had had really shitty parents and a really tough upbringing. So we rallied around him. Yeah. And at every turn, there was always someone trying to help him. And then we got a little bit older and now we're 33. And I'm like, you still don't have your shit together, your programming is fucked. I said, but it's, you're no longer like, I feel like you, we all cross an invisible line where to your point, it's like, I can honor that you didn't have help growing up and you didn't have the best circumstance, but God, there's been so much help since then. And if you still can't take hold of it, like
2: I can't save you. Yeah. 27, I think they say is like a level of consciousness, like that we have to take full responsibility for our ourselves so that we've had enough time kind of away from the damage that we're, we're meant to say like, okay, who, what am I going to take responsibility for? And then I think the next battle is just sort of trying to rejigger the hardwiring, right? Mm. Like I have some hardwiring from my childhood that I'm always like looking at and trying to tinker and say like, I don't need this anymore. You know, like, you you know, it's, it would be like, you're trying to run a race you know, I haven't been, I haven't lived in my home since I was 17 years old. I don't need those things. I don't live in that reality anymore. And so how do I, wh- whether it's like you go and you get help and you talk to someone, um, whatever ways that you can do it, just to kind of peel off some of those layers. And some of it, that makes us who we are. And that's like our quirky Spice. little, funky little thing that we are. <laughs> sure. And um, and try not to let it dictate, like that becomes the impulse right don't let it be the impulse be like ooh here she comes the control freak oh you know and um and just you know keep keep navigating that and and remember this too which is our parents um and we I can say this about myself it's like they did the best they could and we we can be disappointed and we can be like you should have done and here's my list or you could look at them empathetically and say, with what you were given, the skills that you were given, you did the best you could and not to take it personal. Because I think it's disappointing, right? You think, oh, I, wanted, I should have had this childhood and this thing should have gone this way. And um, But the cool thing is, is you probably got something out of that that could propel you ahead as long as you can survive it.
1: Yeah, I've heard it once said before, like inevitably, no matter how good your rearing or parenting is, we all become the parent we needed because Mm -hmm. there's going to be gaps. There's going to be some things we lacked, and it's incumbent on us to discover those things and teach it to ourselves.
2: There's a cool—I just interviewed a girl named um, Tara Schuster. She Mm. works uh, with Comedy Central, and she wrote a book called um, By Yourself the Fucking Lilies, and she talked about her own process of reparenting herself at 25, starting at 25, writing everything down like well what are principles what are the what exact principles she said down to like vegetables like re- literally reparenting herself and um kind of coming on the other side of that and i thought that was really a fascinating way to to do it and my 16 year old daughter who i interviewed for my show said to me this is important because i said can you help us parents out like what could we do better and we talked about the listening we talked about some things she goes but the thing is Is most people parent the way they want to be parented. And she goes, You've got to try to parent your kid because they're a different individual than you. Right. Them individually. And I was like, Oh. that's, That's so good. It is good.
1: I have I have friends who before they had kids and while they were pregnant and even now they have big plans for these kids. They're fucking you know lessons and this school and that school. I'm like you don't know yeah. you don't know what this kid is gonna be. You don't know. And, and also it's like you know it's funny. I always make the joke of like I think my son is musical and I'm musical and I I want to give him yeah. everything. And when it comes down to it, I'll probably try to push them in the direction of guitar instead of French horn. Because, hey, it's just a little more fun. (laughs) You can use it a little more. But inevitably, it's like, God, you just got to
2: let them tell you the way they need to be parented. And we want so much for them. And it's really natural. Like, we didn't even push our kids into sports. And sometimes I'm like, do I regret this? I don't know. And then it's kind of like this. And maybe you could look at your own life. And I certainly can look at my life and Laird hey, you kind of have a path and no one is going to push you on your path and no one is going to keep you from your path. And I think your job as a parent is to say, here's some values to go into the, like, that's the thing I've had to learn. Like, I'm not my kid's coach. I'm their mom. Yeah. So my whole thing is, how do you get to your understanding who you are and what's going to make you feel good? That's my job. And then to set you off with like, hey, here's some things that you go off into the world with, please and thank you. And when people walk into your house, greet them, try to have some empathy, you know, just give them a foundation. I always tell my girls, it's like a house. Every house has a foundation. So let's get that in solid. Help whatever size you want in your house, whatever shape, whatever color, that's on you. That's your thing. That's the way you're gonna express yourself. The foundation's inevitable. And let's get that locked in pretty good. And I think as that was a really hard thing for me because. I'm into, like, the pursuit of excellence and, like, all this bullshit because it helped me. But um, I'm their mom, so I have to teach them other things, and they will have to navigate um, where they want to put that. And, of course, they're watching you. Mm. If you play guitar, your son is watching you. And if it turns him on, he's going to be like, yo, I want to play guitar. And so I think that that's the most important thing is to remember they are watching. And guitar's going to get girls more than the French horn,
1: right? Big time. Thank you. Big time. But, um, so you you leave the islands to move to St. Petersburg, Florida? Yeah. The jewel of the Southeast. Oh.
2: <laughs> Forget it. I mean, there's so much happening there. What?
1: Was that like a culture shock? Like literally oh. going to one of the
2: most, you know. When I was put in a Christian school. I came from like a wild, crazy-ass you know, Caribbean West Indian culture to like sit three fingers apart from people of the opposite gender in the bleachers.
1: That, that must have blown your mind.
2: It did. It was like the best thing that I could have gone through though. Yeah. Because, and then in my senior year for a minute, I lived with the principal and his wife and two small children. Weird. And I, when I was put in the school, I was the only unsaved. And I say that with quotes person in the high school. What school was it? It's called Keswick Christian school. Oh yeah. yay. Yeah, but it's exactly what I needed because, so I had a, I had a boyfriend my junior and senior year from this, from there and his family, the Sandhoffs. And this is the deal. They're really nice people. And like, okay, let's say you were going to be religious. Then really, for me, a really religious person would be more tolerant, would be, um, have greater capacity for love, less judgment. Sure. Like real like if you said like okay, what's at the essence of it? And they are trying to be together as a family and like they do practice certain things and they're you know all these things that were like good and clean, right? And um so I saw enough people that were sort of on the good side of it, not like telling me that my skirt was too short. Um, that I was like, "Oh, this exists too." Like sort of clean living. And, um, and then I, then I got introduced to sports and I had a basketball coach, uh, Dean souls, who, you know, would take me out to eat barbecue and say like, can you just be nice to your mother? You know? And I'd be like, uh, okay. So I could play basketball and just people who, who noticed me. And, uh, and even the principal, Mr. Greener and his wife took me and my mom was not going to go back to St. Pete for my senior year. And I was just getting rolling in my sports and he's like, send her. And he let me live with him and his family. And so as uncomfortable as this whole thing was, like girls cheerleaders telling me to go back where you came from and me saying, like, like, why don't you go fuck yourself? Because culturally we were so very different. Uh,
1: So Florida of them.
2: (laughs) Well, and it was like heavy duty. Like my Bible teacher, Mr. Strickland, was amazing. And he's like, you know, at least I appreciate you always how you really were. And I was like, okay. Yeah. I could deal with that. Yeah. And it was like really the reminder, like if we can be honest about who we are, we, there's, we can meet. And so from there I went to Florida state and, um, then I was working in New York and, uh, I was on scholarship at Florida state. Eventually I gave up my scholarship, but I paid to play, uh, for the four years because I was modeling and there was a conflict NCAA. It's, it just gets tricky. And so after my sophomore year, I, I gave up my scholarship, but I continued to play. And, uh, it gave me a really important family and grounding. And I loved the game of volleyball and I was actually getting pretty good. And then after that, I moved to Miami and I picked up the beach game there. And a year and a half or two years after living there, there was a woman there that uh, encouraged me. She's like, you should move to California and be pro. And I was like, okay. And I did. And it just kind of worked out. And you're doing this all while modeling? I did. That's like an 80s movie. Like, I know it's crazy. Star volleyball I, player, I had pay, supermodel. It was legit. Like, come on. It was, but I had to pay the bills. Like, I was, I was like, yo, this is an opportunity. I wasn't like, oh my gosh, I'm so excited to be a model. I was very well aware that it was a huge opportunity for me. And so I took it. But did you ever
1: look at yourself in the mirror at 16? Like, you know, we all have that, our good days, we're like, oh, I look good today. Was there a part of you that went, Maybe I, like, I've never had that. Like, I've
2: never looked in no. the mirror and
1: been like, maybe if the right person saw me, I
2: could model. <laughs> oh. Come on. No, no, no. Well, listen, I got supposedly discovered, whatever that means, at 15. So I had people that said, hey, listen, you can do this. But you have to realize my size, um, I was never sure. I understood that the way I appeared impacted people. Mm. I didn't know for what reason, but I was so concerned about so many other things Like, how am I going to navigate? I got like, what's happening? And like, where's security coming from? That this was so far down on my list of things to be interested or concerned about, which ultimately protected me. But is there also like,
1: it it seemed as what, what could have been an easy sort of trapping would have been like the fun and the parties and the Mm. excitement of that life. Mm -hmm. And it seems like, you know, you used it as a utility to make money and never fell victim to that. But were there moments where you're like, I can get used to this. Like, let's go to Paris.
2: No, no, I, you know, the other thing about, I think being, I joke about being a Capricorn is I'm highly grounded and it's just the way I came out Yeah, and uh, it's going to be hard to distract me. And it's also, I'm looking at the story. So I was looking at today, in a week, in a month, and in a year, even at 17, 18. So I knew how that story played out. And by the way, I'd be 18 working with a 30-year-old model and beautiful women, but like old. Sure. So I'm like, oh, I know what this, where this story goes. Yeah, And I knew where drugs and alcohol took you because I lived with a bunch of adults or people on the islands that did that. So I, I understood the story. And I was like, I think hard work and discipline um, is going to be a better ending of the story. And uh, I, I also liked who I was. I respected myself more in sport. I was grateful for the opportunity to model. And I showed up and I was professional and cool. And I tried to be nice and great to people. But how I felt about myself after like practice and like playing and busting my ass I liked I I was more proud of myself in that environment
1: did you find growing up the men were inherently intimidated by taller women?
2: Yeah, they are right I, I yeah I don't know why because somewhere in our narrative we were told men are supposed to be taller than women and guys are just like I, I said little guys little guys no little guys are not they're the ones who are like I don't care how tall you are there's the funniest, I most ironic thing is I'd have guys like five eight, like yeah, I like them big. It was I the guys it. like six foot, six two that were like, it's so weird that you're taller. I was like, okay,
1: yeah, like I can wear flats. <laughs> Don't worry about it, okay. boss. Yeah, I. It's so funny. My sister in law is uh, both my sister in laws were like five eleven and six feet, and you know they're amazing and the best people, beautiful. And, you know, they, they date and whatnot, but they kind of, for the most part have like, I hope I'm not outing them, whatever, I can edit this out. But they kind of have like a height requirement. And I'm like, good luck,
2: y'all. Well, BHR, we called it. So when I played ball, there's some big women on the tour. I mean, at one point I was not the largest player in my position, in my position, which would be like center on a basketball team. Every middle in the league was bigger than me. I was this, and it doesn't mean by a lot, but like one or two inches. And we'd see like a guy who was like really handsome, and we'd be like, oh, BHR below height requirement. Damn it. <laughs> Listen, I'm 5'11, I'm BHR all day, but I got a lot to offer. <laughs> well, <laughs> see, that's the thing. I met Laird, and Laird's like a little bit shorter than me, and he has so much power that I, and it was like, oh, yeah, all that goes out the window. Like this person will protect me and is like within themselves so strong that I was like, yeah, okay. Yeah. That's my guy. We can dance. Oh, yeah.
1: Okay, well, I've kept you long enough. So I want to ask you the last question that I ask everyone on the podcast. Okay. What are your one or two Gabby Reese commandments, truths that you have discovered that you'd want to impress upon someone else?
2: You know, I I think what I have learned that has worked so well for me, um, even though at times it's not the easiest, is. You know, kind of everything takes work in life, whether it's relationships or following a dream. And I think when you're aligned with it, you can endure what it takes to to do it. But also, I've said this quite a, a lot, is your willingness to to always create value wherever you go. So you're looking to give always before you're looking to take. I think it somehow just works out in your favor in the long run, even though you at times could think that's unfair. But always be willing to to give and to go, you know, I've said this a lot actually, to to go first, to be kind to somebody, to be willing to go out of your comfort zone. And it is easier for me because I am six foot three. As a female, I'm allowed, I can go say hello to any person, any stranger, 99.9% of the time, that is the response I'll get. So I think it's it's being willing to put yourself out there and, and create that value and it don't sort of expect something first. And the other thing is, I mean, I just know like we don't get away with anything. And so I learned a long time ago, like, you know, do the work, like do the real work. Don't try to cut any corners and, but honor yourself within the work, like work at things that you believe in. Like if you're working on something that, you know, you fucking hate and like, you actually don't believe in, you have to, you have to, you have to stop because it just doesn't go anywhere. Um, and then lastly, you know, the only reason I really train as hard as I do and work out is it's when we talk about the armor, that is what I use to help me make better decisions, to be a better person, to react better in situations with people I love or professionally. I don't work out because I'm in like a meathead that wants to throw around and sling around a bunch of iron. And so if I could encourage people at whatever level they're at to defend and protect their health through what they're eating and what they're watching and who they're around and moving just enough, um, I feel like it's a, like this thing that helps us just get through all the things that we're going to have to endure and, and to do it your own way, not don't copy anyone.
1: I love it. Um, last, last question. How did I do out there during our training session?
2: Oh, really good. Like a, fi- like mi- middle of the pack, not the worst, not the best. No, m- no. Closer to the upper part of the pack, because oh, thank you. what I want you to know is that, um, when people do have a strong mind and they can process information, but also they can control their emotions, um, you're—I could see that right away. I knew where you were at right away, and and uh, and so you, I think you did exceptional.
1: Like oh my you, god! You got an A. It means so much. I needed
2: that. No, it's—I'm not—I'm not, I'm not <laughs> blowing smoke. I'm not a smoke blower. I don't know if you can tell that. I can indeed. I can. Yes. <laughs> yes. And uh, just your your sense of calm. Uh, you know, Laird always says the bigger it is, the slower we move. And I think people, you know, if we can be calm when we're uncomfortable, that's really powerful.
1: Anyone ever thrown up out there?
2: Yes. Oh, I bet. In my hot tub. Oh, that's the worst place. And to And like throw in up. front of my kids, up who just gave so much crap to the person, it was awesome. <laughs> that's great. No, oh, that's disgusting. And because they were younger, they weren't. They're more diplomatic now because they're older, right? We beat that out of ourselves, right? Sure. They're like, ew. You know?
1: <laughs> <laughs> Bless them. Thank you so much. Thank you. This is awesome. That was it. That was the podcast. Can you believe it? That happened. How good was that, right? The insight, the tidbits, the knowledge. This is what we do on this podcast. We we trick you with some fun. You're like, I want to go into that amusement park. It looks like a great time. But then we don't have roller coasters. We have lectures. <laughs> And I know that that might seem like the, one of the worst beaten switches ever. You go to six flags and all of a sudden you got to sit and listen to a professor, but it's fun. And there's also churros. So you're welcome. Listen, Gabby has a podcast called the Gabby Reese show. So make sure you check that out and have a great week. Y'all happy 4th of July. If you're from the America, uh, the United States of America. And if you're not happy, just another, uh, the, just another day in July. All right.